0: Dear listeners of the Female Guides Requested podcast, happy Wednesday and happy Valentine's Day. Our guest today is Sarah Jenin from Boulder, Colorado. A mutual friend highly recommended Sarah to me, and I was so glad that I had the honor to interview her. Many things about Sarah amazed me. She grew up on a small island and immediately fell in love with mountains and snow sports when she moved to Colorado, she can soon become the first female AMGA certified splitboard guide. She's also type 1 diabetic, but she manages well and is actively pursuing another big goal of hers to become the first type 1 diabetic IFMGA guide. After many career changes, she found guiding at 35 and fell in love with it. Now, at 45, Sarah appreciates that she started her guiding career later in life, as she is still motivated and passionate to improve as a guide and does not feel burned out. Right now, Sarah is a certified rock guide, aspirin splitboard guide, assistant alpine guide, avalanche instructor, and warfare instructor. She works full-time for Colorado Mountain School and has been working hard to organize more women's programs. One of her goals is to continue to empower and create a more open environment for all who identify as female. I really enjoyed talking with Sarah. She emitted so much positive energy and has so much devotion to what she set her mind to do. Let's dive in and I know you will be inspired by the conversation. in progress, I heard. Sarah, I'm uh, very really happy to have you on the show, Female guys Requested podcast.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Did you guide today? Because when we were communicating, you were talking about you might have some last minute stuff today.
1: Oh my goodness. So I'm working on a ladies weekend out three days. And it's through um, Golden State Guiding. And they asked me if I could help them bring Ladies Weekend out to Colorado. So they do a lot of it in Joshua Tree and Bishop and Yosemite and Red Rocks. And we did one of them in 2019 here and had 16 ladies show up. Wow. Yes. So we wanted to bring it back. And so um, I have been working frantically to organize all the swag from our partners and make little goodie bags for all the ladies and we're gonna meet tonight over drinks and fingernail polish and glitter tonight and kind of like i guess kind of collaborate and build some camaraderie before we head out and climb for the next three days
0: so next three days you mean a friday uh friday
1: saturday Saturday.
0: sunday Oh, (laughs) okay so today is the night before yeah wow that's cool Mm -hmm. yeah and then they all uh flew from everywhere to colorado
1: yeah it's kind of funny they're kind of coming in from all over right now and we don't have 16. um i would say the outdoor industry is kind of on a lull right now but we have four ladies that are gonna
0: join me for the weekend awesome yeah so where are you planning to go
1: so we're gonna hit up uh clear creek canyon and boulder canyon and el dorado as well nice. wow, yeah you got different venues so i'm yeah. really excited <laughs> i'm
0: excited for all, you yeah.
1: yeah yeah and they're all at different abilities some are super beginners some are kind of intermediate some want to get more into like multi-pitching and learning about the transitions of that so um, my job is to get a feel for everyone tonight and put together an itinerary and i decided well what better thing to do than learn how to make tape gloves and litter them up and marker them and paint them and learn craft finding too? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's a really cute idea. So I'd never thought about it that I can actually do some painting on the tape gloves. It's yeah, like pretty kind of nice best. canvas for our Yeah, art, art work.
1: yeah. yeah I'm So I'm pretty excited for this weekend. And it's kind of funny because we were kind of expecting. A little bit more women to come so that golden state would bring in their lady guides as well um but they we said well sarah we don't have enough ladies to send out more ladies so here you go here in charge <laughs> so it's like no problem i do ladies groups all the
0: time <laughs> awesome yeah you know i i look at the profile uh, of you on corrado mountain school so is that your main employer
1: that is, I'm a full-time committed guide with uh, Colorado Mountain School.
0: Nice. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I like the in what in the description they were comparing just like you were from an island girl. Oh, yes. Tra- <laughs> kind of Transforming into a mountain girl. So I, I was trying to figure out what that means. Because so I actually I grew up in an island from Taiwan originally. This island is not very small in the Pacific. And uh, I never thought about, like, what exactly, what kind of characteristics that an island girl kind of have. Can you imagine the mountain girl? But can you just describe a little bit how you feel about the contracts of the island and the mountain?
1: Oh, yes, absolutely. Because I grew up in Ketchikan, Alaska, um, small island. And then at 12, we moved to Orcas Island, Washington, and the San Juan Islands even a smaller island with uh, less people. (laughs) But um, I would say it was easier access to get to the mainland from the San Juan Islands with a ferry boat, unlike Ketchikan was kind of out there and you have to either fly or take a massive ferry boat to get to the mainland. And, um, you know, I would say that Ketchikan probably made me more the wilderness woman that I am today because we actually did some homesteading out in Alaska on a different island and we homesteaded a little cabin that had some farm animals out there and to get to that island we had to travel by a little motorized boat every day to feed those animals and as a kid we were, I'm, I'm one of five of us, <laughs> so lots of siblings and man, we were just wild island kids running around feeding animals, chasing goats and chickens and bunnies and um, actually doing a lot of bouldering and rock climbing around the beaches of Ketchikan, no sandy beaches there. <laughs> so I would say that that kind of got me more into... Maybe the mountain wild that um I've kind of grown into here in Colorado. Mm-hmm. And so I I got off of Orcas Island at age eighteen, came to visit my dad here in Colorado. And I called my mom and I said, Mom, I'm not coming home. <laughs> <laughs> and then 18 I was ready to get off of a small little island (laughs) but that's how I came to be here in Colorado and um the mountains have always called me back unlike the ocean hasn't really called me um back home I see
0: yeah yeah Yeah. and then so when you were uh growing up in the island so did you do any like water sport like kayaking or surfing or i don't know um mm-hmm. any of those
1: yes did lots of kayaking um it was more in the sounds of um the puget sound of orcas island and the san juans where it's very calm not big waves or anything like that a lot of sailing oh we did a ton of sailing it's kind of known for the sailing there and would go up to like Victoria in Canada and all all around those islands. Um, Surfing came to me when I would visit my brother in San Diego and that was always a fun summer sport, but not not anything that I really grabbed a hold of. Mm -hmm. I see. And then,
0: so what did you find that, you know, so you say you traveled to Colorado at 18 (laughs) and then what was the biggest draw in it? Uh, in Colorado and obviously you stay there for quite a while Um, now I would say
1: you know I'm just gonna speak as the 18 year old that I was was more the people like wow, Mm -hmm. yes people um because you know everyone by first and last name in your school and 38 kids in my class um at the time was like oh there are people and there are mountain sports and there's snowboarding and skiing and i grabbed a hold of that with a vengeance and (laughs) i became um a very passionate snowboarder and now i'm a big splitboard guide today
0: yeah Mm -hmm. i watched a video that uh that you made for forge scholarship was that right yeah Yeah. so did you Oh, are you planning to do a ski guide exam at some point, right? Or have you done it yet?
1: Um, I have my ski guide exam hopefully coming up here in March 2024.
0: Oh, okay. So, wow. And so, you know, in the, the traditional paths of a mountain guide, they want you to ski, right? So, and yeah. then it's, it's pretty cool that um, here that I heard, I don't remember when I heard that people, uh, the AMGA started to do the split board. Do you remember that?
1: Oh, um, the AMGA status of like... The
0: split board guide cert.
1: Mm-hmm. And so there's 10 men that are split board guide certified. And I just found out that there's one Canadian woman... Um, that is split board guide certified. There is no AMGA split board guide certified premium.
0: I see. And mm-hmm. so um, educate me a little bit about split board because I did ski before I tried also. I did downscale skiing way back, and then I tried a little bit of telemark, so I did a little bit of backcountry. Uh, and I tried snowboard, but it was pretty hard for me. I was just fell everywhere and stuff. So um, what, what's, what's the difference? Because it, traditionally, when I learned that sport, I, I heard that skiers don't like snowboarders. And, <laughs> <laughs> but so they look a lot of fun, you know?
1: Oh, yeah, you know, the same goes is, Skiing is for transportation and splitboard or snowboarding is for fun. <laughs> People get really mad at me for saying that because you know skiing is fun. And granted, I skied for a good almost ten years because um, I I started as a snowboarder. And back in the day, they they didn't have splitboards, and I I'm going to date myself now but um I was a snowmaker at Beaver Creek from like 2000 till 2009 and the ski patrol was like the Hollywood job that we all wanted to become ski patrollers and they had gotten rid of their border patrol and so that kind of got me into well should I try skiing and I had a bunch of friends that were skiers. So as I got into skiing, um, the snowmaking got rid of snowmobile access on the mountain and had a ski on the mountain. And so I was skiing every day. And then I decided to take the ski patrol test. And I had only skied for maybe five months. And they're like, "Sarah, how long have you been skiing?" And I said oh, good five months now. And they're like, yeah, you're kind of a liability. <laughs> and I said, oh, so I'm not going to make ski patrol this year? And they said, one more year, just one more season, and I bet you'll be good enough. So oh, at least end- they say
0: were encouraging, I think.
1: <laughs> yes, and so I thought, okay, where can I do one more year? And I thought, I'm going to South America. So oh. I went to South America. <laughs> And I spent the summer in South America and tried to teach myself how to ski. And they had the worst snow year of 30 years. But I tell you what, that was one of the best trips. And I highly encourage anyone who's never traveled internationally by themselves to go. I bought a one-way ticket and didn't know when I was coming back. I dumped my boyfriend and (laughs) didn't want a connection. (laughs) I went and I thought I was going to go maybe two months or so, but given that the snow was so bad, I ended up staying in South America for about four and a half months. I just traveled and tried to teach myself how to ski. And then I came back and I got a ski guide job, which I should not have been a ski guy because I could barely ski. And, and I did that in Vail just the backcountry of Vail through a small company and that's where I started to guide and then i realized when i went back to my snowboard that skiing is actually the better tool for for guiding in the backcountry oh. but i realized i am such a better snowboarder i've been snowboarding for over 20 years and as I got into splitboarding, it just was a natural feel for me. And I just took up to splitboarding like I had never left it. And skiing's very difficult. It's, it's difficult, I would say more difficult than snowboarding in the progression and learning how to be a beautiful skier, especially a ski guide or a ski patroller. And so I just thought, you know, I'm going to, go through the AMGA on my footboard even though I have to take a ski guide test or a ski test at the end of all of my AMGA courses to become IFMGA um, and I thought that won't be too hard because i I skied so a that, few lessons and
0: uh, I think I'll get there <laughs> I, I think so it seems like you are a go-getter that type of person It's like <laughs> Did did I uh hear your story correctly? You're like, okay, I need one more year of skiing. So because at that time maybe the season was ending, so you're like, I'm going to South America. Was that your rationale? Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I wanted to take that year
1: and and do it over the summer and maybe try again the next season.
0: <laughs> I see, right? So you're not waiting for the next like, the winter comes again in the North Hemisphere, you, right. you're going straight in. Nice. I, I like that. It's really inspiring, right? Just go. And it's. I'm determined, I'm going. Totally. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And I was very surprised to hear that you say that I, because I learned skiing first and then I tried snowboard because it looked really fun. But I found that skiing is easier to myself. As skiing is a little easier to learn, but it's very hard to get very good. Exactly. Oh, okay.
1: Exactly it. It's very easy to go from point A to point B on your mm-hmm. ski when you're first learning. And when you're first learning snowboarding, like you said, you fall and you fall, yes. and you fall. And it's very hard to get from point A to point B when you're first learning. But easier to progress and get better at. Oh. Skiing, like, so difficult. You need so many lessons.
0: <laughs> Interesting. I guess I never let myself pass the point of falling and falling, and then to reach the point, and say, oh, yeah, <laughs> now I can progress. Wow. Nice. Right. I tell
1: everyone just know that you never have to experience the first day ever again.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> I guess sometimes that's what I tell uh, my crack climbing students. I say, yes, the first day is always painful. <laughs>
1: exactly. Totally. Right. Same thing.
0: <laughs> okay, Wow. That's great. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe I'll take a snowboard again. <laughs>
1: <Yes>. <laughs> it's so fun.
0: Yeah. So then you say that, uh, why do you say the skiing is a better tool for guy? for guiding skis.
1: You know as I found, I taught a lot of avalanche education on my skis. And teaching like level 1 courses, you're with a lot of beginners that are just getting into the backcountry. Although, you know people can ski the black diamond on piste in the resort, it's a very different world in the backcountry. And now suddenly they're like, "Whoa, I can barely ski green in the backcountry." very different and where I found that skis are easier to maneuver as a guide and help my clients whereas in a snowboard I am attached two feet into this board and it's very hard for me to get out help get back in get out help so I end up actually split skiing a ton and yes. I'm very good at split skiing. And I think skiing has helped me get better at split skiing. But I tend to find myself always in ski mode. Unless yeah. maybe at the top of a big peak or something.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right.
0: Yeah. Oh, well, it's refreshing to hear that. I mean, because I'm mainly a rock climb climber. So I mm-hmm. just like, okay, yeah, you, you were saying the skiing in the resort and skiing in the back country, very different. Just like climbing the gym and climbing outside, yes, it's different. Different.
1: exactly. <laughs> yeah. yes.
0: And then mm-hmm. when I was just recreational climbing, and then when I'm a guide, I use different tools. So yes. Because you know these are like better for the guiding situation, but those are better when I'm like personal climbing. Yes. So it's like very similar, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: And then you yes. think about putting on a heavy backpack. I
0: remember oh. that. In my
1: advanced <laughs> in my advanced snowboard uh course up in Valdez, it was like, yeah, we got to fly in with heavy packs and all the gear in the helicopter and get dropped off. But then we had to ski out, and skiers can hold themselves like upright and go straight downhill with heavy packs much easier. Then as a snowboarder, I have to throw my body. Side to side to turn. And man, the balance on a snowboard with a heavy pack will just, boom, put you on your
0: butt. That's true. Yeah, because that backpack certainly changes center of gravity. And then I think the maneuverability of snowboard requires you to have tighter. Um, I I used to kayak, so you know, the whitewater kayak, you you really need to feel like you and Bo are the same mm-hmm. entity so maybe like snowboard is more like that
1: yes exactly okay.
0: and yep. then skiing with the way will be a little bit more forgiving
1: it is okay mm-hmm. yep because you don't have to throw your body side to side to turn right
0: mm-hmm. yeah uh, yes thank you so much i, I learned oh uh, yeah yeah And. Um, sorry, I got like <laughs> a distracted because I also heard the thing it's it's like the way that you eventually become a guy is somewhat accidental. It is, yes. Okay, tell me the story again. Yeah, oh, okay. I, yeah.
1: Well, it's kind of funny because I don't know. I just now I think about how people become guys, and it was like out of school that was there. They quit school and they wanted to become a guide at a young age, whereas I was – one of the things that I loved doing um, was skinning up the resort at the end of work. And we would do that all the time because it was – It was free it was so different than today (laughs) when you just got out of your car you parked for free yeah when as long as you wanted we would bring wine we would bring our dinner we we had so much fun skinning at the end of our work shifts up the mountain one day up the mountain and ran into the owner of a small company in vale and we started chit-chatting he goes i have a guide tryout for ski guiding um, in a couple of days, you should come and try it out. And I was like, oh, that sounds pretty cool. Sure, okay, <laughs> I'll, just, I'll just try it out. <laughs> Went to try it out. It was kind of a shit show. And it was <laughs> a total disaster with the guides that had come and the owner having to leave to pick up his daughter from school, left us in the back country. And it was like, wow, this is very interesting. I think I'm going to go to Alaska and experience tailgate Alaska and go party and ski. And so I left. And I came back that summer and ran into um, the owner of that company. And he goes, oh, you should rock guide for us. And I goes, well, look, okay. <laughs> I haven't rock climbed in years. You should see me rock. Climb. <laughs> he goes, oh, well, just come out and train with us. And so, trained with him, became a rock guide before even a ski guide, and then ice climbing season came, and he goes, "Oh, you should, you should ice guide." And I'm like, "I've never ice climbed before. Oh, it's just like rock climbing. You got this." Okay, <laughs> <I was> sweet. <laughs> and so, I kind of got grandfathered into all the disciplines for each season, and I had no professional training until, um, actually, Mia came along and was like, Sarah, you need your SPI.
0: Oh, (laughs) Mia said that. Okay. Yeah. Because (laughs) Mia also uh, did a lot of outdoor education. Well, um, well, people, if you are interested, you you should listen to Mia's podcast interview too. And then she also started her AMGA track a little bit late. Yeah. So then she told you about this. Mm -hmm. Okay, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes, we both started very late. I didn't start rock climbing until i was probably 34 years old um like passionately rock climbing i i would dabble here a couple of days and there a couple of days um so your
0: your main sport is snowboarding
1: it was i see mm-hmm. yeah i would say that's changed quite a bit to being a rock climber passionate rock climber now <laughs> yeah um but yeah mia was like oh you need your spi you should you really should get your single pitch instructor because that's gonna teach you all the correct ways of guiding and rescue and safety. And um. sorry, my teacher was Um, And so I decided just to go and get my SPI and I loved it. I loved the education. I loved being a part of the, the guiding community and doing my exam and the stress of it, and then, um, I was working on the ambulance at the time, which got me into working regenerative medicine and my boss for that company said, "There, you need to quit guiding um, okay. we, we need you full time here we We can't have one foot out and one foot in here. we need both feet in this company <laughs> because we have plans for you and I thought, "Oh gosh." oh, do I want to do that? I I love guiding. It's like what I've been doing for a couple of years since since then. But I thought, okay, I'll stop guiding. And I did. And fully went into this new career path. And they they made a mistake and they moved me to Boulder, Colorado to start some labs up and that was a big mistake because Boulder, Colorado is like <laughs> <a> climbing back <mecca>. up. <laughs> so I ended up having having quit that job and because I was guiding for CMS part time and also working for them part time until that kind of slowly faded out and I became full-time guide for Colorado Mountain School. <laughs> and, um, yeah, and then just started guiding in all the disciplines and taking the AMGA track more seriously. And during COVID, I just went after it, and I just did five AMGA courses. <laughs> <it>. <laughs> and I I I thought,
0: you know, after you told me about your South America story, I can see that happening.
1: <laughs> so, it's like, well, I'm not getting any any younger, and man, I'm getting older. So, I well, get everybody's
0: getting older.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I better get this done while I'm still able to. <laughs>
0: yeah. Wow. Nice. So, so you mean that? Okay, you were guiding part time, and then ambulance, and this job part time, and then try that uh company position full time, mm-hmm. but then. Colorado, in Boulder, Colorado, too much distraction.
1: So much distraction.
0: (laughs) And then you love being outside. So Mm -hmm. you went back guiding full time. I did. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then, wow, because I I can see you're very passionate. So what's, uh, what do you find the most rewarding guiding? You must love it. So you chose to do it full time. What's the best part? And then what's, you know?
1: I mean it's so rewarding. That's what I love about it. It's like watching people progress as you teach them. We do a lot of like development series courses. And from like day one to day five, it's just like, all right, you're set, you're ready. (laughs) On your own, I've just had five days with you. And then other people are like, wow, your office is so amazing (laughs) you know they have a lot of jealousy and they think oh guiding is so much fun and granted it's fun it's a lot of work (laughs) Um, (laughs) as you know a lot of wear and tear on your body um and i would say the biggest thing for me is the reward of it to teach people and to get them out here and one of my main goals Um, especially is to show people the wilderness and to teach them about kind of what's happening in our world right now with the glaciers melting that was huge and to bring them out and hopefully make a difference
0: I see Yeah, Mm -hmm. and definitely the wilderness because you mentioned that word when you describe your childhood in Alaska, right? <laughs> so they must, how would you define the wilderness and then why do you think it's very important to preserve it? Because a lot of time, like I instruct a lot of people just coming from the gym, right? So they might not, never spend um, an extensive time in the wilderness, yeah. So for you, the growing up in the wilderness kind of setting, it must, it must have some other deeper meaning for you, right?
1: Oh, yeah. It's like this deep serenity. Um, this place that brings so much peace and ease and stress-free. And it's kind of amazing to see what it was like in Ketchikan when I was growing up, going and visiting it now um, because I did visit it a couple of years ago and the growth and the destruction and the logging, and it was like oh my gosh what is happening to our world what are people not seeing it's kind of heartbreaking um, and I hope to bring people out to show them this and hope that they Maybe make a difference, make some changes. Definitely, um, just even, even day to day living, of recycling, using um, less water, um, things of that nature. Not throwing away so much. Not, not being a total consumer that we are in America. Things like that. <laughs> oh,
0: nice. Like the
1: little day to days of like, okay, let's let's try and keep it
0: preserved yeah. I see that you go with eventually want to be a IFNG mountain guy right because things you got alter it anyway mm-hmm. and so um sorry I lost my thought I mean <laughs> let me think about my question a little bit oh, yeah so on your path toward and also on your guiding path is gender any um Ever play some role in your past as a plus or a minus?
1: It's so interesting to think of it because of my age. Now I'm 45 age? years old.
0: I mean, you, yeah. you're 45 You're young. I mean, 45 is not that old. Uh,
1: yeah, I think because of maybe the jobs that I was in. Um, it was all male dominated jobs, except for being a veterinary technician That's what I went to school for um was a vet tech, and that was very female dominated profession um and so I think being like in in the mountains at a young age, working as a snowmaker as a landscaper, on the ambulance male dominated. Um, in the guiding community, was a very male dominant. I didn't think much of it, to be honest with you. It was just part of my norm, and maybe because of the person that I am as a confident uh, female, that I I never came across any issues when I was young. all right, and never. I I might have just been blind to it, but I I just thought everything like I just saw myself as you know one of the guys and it wasn't until probably recently with all the movement that has been more happening in the past few years you know with inclusivity and um, the BIPOC and you know getting more women's programs going and things like that that it took me a little while to realize like all right and there's a couple times where I was like I do remember that issue. I do remember that one time guiding and I just kind of pushed it off and didn't really think about it until probably within just the past, like maybe two or three years. So it was never, it never held me back. I didn't find it as a barrier as a woman to go through because I was so determined. Like this is what I do. (laughs) Um, And now that I see more of it, and I think um, especially doing more women's groups and more women's guiding, I see a lot more different styles of, I would just say, women's confidence and being able to feel like, okay, determined strength that they can because they have been shut down where i never really dealt with that to be honest with you and you know it's one of those things that um maybe as a little bit different of a female because i'm a type 1 diabetic where um i w- you just have to be strong you, you, there's no weakness <laughs> you you have to continue um I guess just taking care of yourself and making sure that you're dialed with your health and you can't let yourself drop to low blood sugars or any of that. And maybe that might have helped me a little bit in being able to progress through these male dominated kind of disciplines that I've worked through.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that is actually when you mentioned the type one diabetes, I actually, so with uh, what you just said, I actually have two questions. First is I really would love you to share about that experience, just have to deal with the diabetes, you know, and then you have to be full time taking care of yourself and also taking care of other people in the back country. And it's like, for me, it's very hard for me to imagine, but, Probably for you, it's not easy, but you have dealt with so long. So um, you might just like, oh, I know it's not too bad, but I, it's pretty challenging um, just to think about it. So I would love that to hear that side of the story. And then the second question that I, I have is, I can see that you are very determined, you're driven. So you just jump right in. So that's probably easy for you to put they push aside somehow on your career past you ever experience, um sexism or whatever. Just like, you know, whatever, I'm still going to do this. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I am curious, like, because I also on my way to guy. I also used to study computer science, it's all men dominated fields. So I think I have that side in me. I just like, okay, so in the background, I don't even remember, even though it happened, somehow it didn't happen kind of thing. And then I started to do a lot of affinity women courses too. So I kind of like to hear your experience with that too. Just like, since you never, probably you never had to participate when you were a student, a female group. And then now teaching female group and then instructing them. What bring, uh, what did you get out of it and what did you find? That's I guess that would be my question.
1: Oh, that's a good question. And it's so interesting because I had never signed up for an all-female group before I started guiding. I don't all-female. even
0: know whether there was any. I, I, I don't know. think there was. One. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The first one I taught was in 2019. Um, and that was kind of, I think, kind of the start. It was <laughs> I think the start of like all female groups and the realization that women really wanted that open space and that lack of judgment and not always following their boyfriends and not always having to be in the back seat behind a guy. They were like, how do I, how do I get to be the leader? How do I get to be up front? Same within the avalanche world and ski world is I think we always just followed. And I can remember following all the guys in college. I do remember that. and I remember learning from all my guy friends. It wasn't girlfriends. And it's kind of interesting now. And I even think about it like this week. I was like, wow, I'm really craving to go climb with some girlfriends. I've been climbing with a bunch of bunch of dudes lately and I, I'm really wanting some feminine energy and I want to go climb with the ladies <laughs> instead. And I don't know if I ever really realized that when I was younger. And so to, I guess, go from never signing up with a female group to teaching an all-female group was eye-opening. And I absolutely loved being a part of that and the camaraderie and the networking that happened within that group and we still i i still keep in touch with them and still like over social media or whatever it may be we are we're pretty close and i would say that that's never really happened say in like a mixed group even okay. um, yeah So it's been been pretty awesome. And I would say, you know, one of the things that I've noticed just guiding for so many years and getting the experience is where I have gained more respect. And I would say that was the most challenging part of teaching avalanche education with um, males that might have been stronger skiers than me or even taking all males out to like hut trips. When I, when I realized, you know, this is not, they're escaping their wives and girlfriends and I am their guide (laughs) and that was not a good setup. And I realized like a, a male guide should have been here, not me. And as a beginner guide, I found that that was very difficult, but now, I don't think anything of it because of the experience that I have and the knowledge that I have and the confidence that I have is huge when I guess being a guide and being in the lead, like you have to be confident.
0: (laughs) Definitely, right? And all that hard work and experience. So your presence, they are not, nobody's gonna doubt your presence there now.
1: And I think I've had to learn that. Hmm. um it wasn't it just didn't come to me. I was very much a follower. I was very shy and kind of quiet. And I have had been like, okay, maybe. Yeah. Here's Sarah One, here's Sarah Two. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: nice. And Sarah yeah. Two is the guide.
0: <laughs> yeah, you awkward. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> then how about did you think that your approach Um, change or you adjust your approach a little bit when you facilitate a women group?
1: Yes, um, absolutely. I think what I kind of um, done is actually gone to other women who do a lot of women's groups to get feedback and to ask them like, hey, what what do you do? How do you incorporate like the networking and the camaraderie and how do you bring these women together differently than say I would, you know, just doing a development series. I know how to teach. I I can teach you how to climb. I can teach you how to ski. I can teach you how to mountain. That's not an issue for me. Um, it's more of the little intricacies of, hanging out with the ladies and making them feel comfortable and bringing in that, like that space and lack of judgment and things like that. And one of the girls told me, Chelsea Rude, who is a professional climber who has, um, does a lot with women's groups and she would be a great person to interview too. (laughs) And I asked her, what do you do? And she goes, Go in there like you are their good friend. Like you're just their friend. That's all you gotta do. And I said, like, that's a great idea. Like, why not? So that's why tonight I'm going to go out and have drinks with them, and we're going to paint our nails and put on glitter, and we're just going to have a good girly time of like, all right, let's like make this comfortable and no pressure. And that's what I kind of want to bring is like, time. Let's just have fun. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, Yeah. And so it's a little bit different.
0: Nice. So when you you mentioned a couple times about the development series. Mm-hmm. So um, what exactly is in the five day program say maybe give me an example on, on rock climbing since I know rock climbing. A little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Day one is intro rock climbing, so it's like how you tie your figure eight, how to make a barrel knot, what a clove hitch is, what a munter is, kind of go through your basics. Um, what does an anchor look like? How do cams work? It's, uh, how do you clip a quick draw? Um, what's Z clipping, back clipping, things like that. So that's kind of day one. Um, day two is more into, we start to get into trad climbing of, all right, this is how cams work. This is how you place a cam. This is what an anchor looks like. This is how you wreck your cam. Um, and we're doing climbing as we're doing all this teaching. And then day three, it might be a crack clinic. Okay. This is how we tape or these are hand jammies, things like that. And here's like our technique on how to crack, climb crack. And then day four is um, usually the, like a graduation day. Um, Now we're going to multi-pitch climb. Let's go climb a flat iron. And that's our, that's our big objective that we work up towards. Mm
0: -hmm. I see. Oh, that's cool. You know, you know, one of the things I really want like to do is, you know, I'll get all these guys. And then we, you know, we all teach, say, track climbing, crack climbing and various courses. I like to compare like all our notes and <laughs> um. so now we like design courses. I think that would be cool. Just trying to see whether I have some blind spot on my own curriculum, you know?
1: Yeah. And it's one of those things where you don't have to sign up for all five days. Oh, okay. In the five days, you see, oh, I want to learn how to crack line. And you can just sign up for day one. I see oh, I want to learn how to multi-pitch when you sign up for day four. Or well, I just want to learn how to intro climb I'm coming from the gym when you sign up for day one.
0: I see. So, cool. Um,
1: so you might have like those people that are there for all five days and some just join for that one I see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Nice. And, <laughs> and let's go back. Let's um, rewind a little bit. We're talking about your diabetes.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: So, uh, yeah. So... Um, don't tell me it's not challenging to manage.
1: <laughs> um, yeah.
0: no? um, okay, great.
1: Yeah, no, I used to not think anything of it because I was a very bad diabetic. And you think of, well, what's a good diabetic versus a bad diabetic? Right? Yeah. Well, well, what does that
0: mean?
1: Oh, yeah. What does that mean? <laughs> exactly. As a child, I did not like to test my blood sugar. And testing your blood sugar entailed having to prick your finger. And it was a painful prick that you put a drop of blood onto a glucose stick. And that would check your blood sugar. And you'd have to do that numerous times a day. And I just decided that, you know, my parents took care of me as a child and did that for me. And I learned eventually how to do my own injections then about age 11. And they kind of let me. Be a little bit more independent. And I was terrible at that. And then once I reached high school and college, no way would I test my blood. Sugar. Nope. I was not diabetic, basically. I just wanted to have those months at a time where I wouldn't check my blood sugar until eventually they have a blood test. It's called the A1C. Basically, that checks what your glucose is. Within the past three to four months, and every three to four months, you go and get your glucose check, and that gives you an average of your range. And my range was really bad, like terrible. And that was kind of an eye-opener when the doctor said, Sarah, you should see the diabetics I have to treat that are in your range, and they are in bad shape. Granted, you're very active, and this was when I was doing triathlons and running, and I've always been active. And that is kind of a blessing. I think that kept my diabetes kind of in range, and that I don't have any eye problems or circulation problems or anything like that. But the game changer for me was um, what's called a continuous glucose monitor. And I can show you on this Zoom it's this
0: little device okay the device on your arm
1: yep -hmm. and that checks my blood sugar so what i have here if i want to know my blood sugar i open up an app
0: so right now the technology helps
1: yep and i'm in the green 79 perfect
0: great okay
1: (laughs) and so that has helped with guiding more than anything and my blood sugars and people ask, well, why aren't you on a pump? Oh, I, I gave the pump a good college try. And as a rock climber, as a skier, as an ice climber, as a mountaineer, the pump was more for a stagnant person, I found. That technology has not kind of come out for
0: an active person. As I okay. Now. So hopefully, eventually, there will be some better technology for athletes. And
1: it's and it's coming. It's coming. Okay. They, they've had an Omnipod now that is tubeless. It's just kind of massive. It's a big pump that's on your arm or on your thigh, and you can't really see rock climbing with that thing on quite yet, but it's coming
0: <laughs> so I can see now with right now your uh thing that thing on your arm and then with your app on your phone uh yes. that you can monitor your blood sugar level a lot easier but oh, then yeah. what kind of but you still right you go into cold environment all the time right and then so is that right now make sure that you always have enough batteries <laughs> like uh, on your phones probably like what you most have to manage
1: Hmm. it's mostly managing the temperature of my insulin
0: oh, that okay. is
1: bigger than any of these devices that's easy to bring a new battery right but say like on my alpine courses where i don't have a refrigerator And where I was anticipating, actually, on my advanced alpine course just recently, I was anticipating putting my insulin into the glacier snow. But the glaciers had receded so badly that we weren't camping near the snow. Um, And that made my insulin pretty warm for a good 18 days of being out in the field.
0: 18 and, days. So you have to keep it in what's what's the temperature range? They have to keep them
1: You know, it's it states that it likes to be in thirty seven degrees.
0: Thirty seven so, degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, wow, that's really cold.
1: Uh-huh, it's like a refrigerator. Yeah. And that's where your insulin really um really likes to stay to be at the perfect strength. So given that my insulin was getting warm and warm and warm day after day, it was very challenging. And it became weaker and weaker. So I was having to do more injections and more injections without any kind of result, And it was a constant battle.
0: I see. Mm -hmm. And how often do you have to do those injections?
1: Oh, gosh. So uh, when I wake up in the morning for my breakfast, um, usually around 10 o'clock. I'm noticing that's a new thing for me because um, metabolisms are always changing. And as I'm getting older and um just dealing with change in metabolism, that's a new injection for me to do at 10 instead of at lunchtime at noon and then usually about 3 or 4 and then at dinner and then after dinner. And then I have my 24-hour dose at bedtime. So wow. it can range from anywhere from six to eight injections a day.
0: That's a lot. That's more than I <laughs> imagine. Wow. So I can see that if you are in the back country, you know, where you have to keep it in a certain temp temperature, and with so many doses, it's challenging. Is day guiding easier? For it make day up? guiding like if you you can come home? Um, oh yeah, okay. absolutely. Mm-hmm. Right.
1: And one of the things is, I let my clients know, like, hey, this is going to alarm when it gets out of range, and that just means we take a snack, and they love it. They're okay. like, oh, right. yeah, hey, your alarm is going off. It's snack time. <laughs>
0: yeah, right. Because I, I just remember one one of the time my client also told me something about similar things. Like he has something similar that he has to manage. I don't remember what his diabetes, but he he basically just tell me that, well, if my phone make this noise, mm-hmm. that means that he needs an injection or something. I don't know, but okay. Yeah, it sounds like the same. Okay.
1: Yeah.
0: Wow.
1: And I would say a lot of people don't like to tell you they're diabetic okay. when I was a kid. I didn't like to tell people I was diabetic. That made me different. That made me kind of an outcast in a way. And so I never used to say I was diabetic. Even starting guiding, I didn't really like to say anything because I was afraid people would think of me differently or not trust me. Whereas now, it's kind of the first thing I tell people. And it has to do so much with my confidence And I would say even this device has made me feel really comfortable and knowing like, hey, you know what I am. You could look at this phone too. And it alarms when it's out of range. And that's just how life is. And that either indicates time for injection or time for a snack. And we're all going to take a break.
0: (laughs) Nice. Nice yeah and and then I think uh you know, from your answers, I found this key w- word you know you said that you now have more confidence now, so mm-hmm. then you can you don't have a hide right um mm-hmm. anymore, and I think that's like important i asked i remember I asked Mia the same question it's like, well, confidence is like really important for um well actually for everybody, right but as uh we' doing like guiding as a job is very important just for our work and not for our presence and everything. What do you think that, um, if for say a newer guide, you know, any like tips for them to just gain confidence? I mean, I know it takes time and experience, but like any tip that you think that they can just help them to consolidate this, their experience into their confidence?
1: Yes and and that's a challenge and I've seen it um, especially in say maybe newer area instructors that they're their first time teaching in front of the classroom and I think the biggest thing that helped me was knowing exactly what I was going to teach and being so organized in my materials where if I wasn't totally confident in what I was teaching or I was trying to like Fake it till I make it kind of thing, that would make my confidence recede. And I would find that I I I wouldn't speak properly. I I was more shy and I would get more quiet if I was second guessing what I was teaching instead of maybe knowing exactly the material. And so I would say know exactly the material. And really dial in that organization of what you're teaching, even guiding. And man, ever since somebody had let me know that, I would say that that was the biggest game changer for me in building my confidence was like dialing in that information. To really be strong and like, no, I know this. This is, this is, I this I can teach now.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. And I'm curious then, so, I mean, you're super excited and enthusiastic about your job. Like, how long do you think that you're gonna take this on? Like, you you feel like, with your current outlook?
1: I think I'm so fortunate that I got this job at an older age and didn't start at 20 years ago. <laughs> so I'm not burnt out. <laughs> Maybe that's it. Um, that that might be it that and uh,
0: perspective yes
1: <laughs> I think because I have been through so many careers um you know coming out of college as a veterinary technician as a landscaper as a snowmaker as an emt as a regenerative medicine person and uh, you know working in restaurants and having so many other jobs and sometimes I think of why didn't I find this job sooner? <laughs> and now that I've landed upon it and I've been in it now for a decade, I've been guiding since about 2014. Um, and I think I'm just glad that I ended up finding it at a, maybe an older age that I'm not burnt out. I'm just hurting. <laughs> I'm, I'm just, I'm just getting, getting warmed up (laughs) nice yeah
0: i think you know when you said that you say you just say you're 45 right now right Mm -hmm. and then you so you start guiding roughly 35 ish Mm -hmm. so it's a little bit later than a lot of other people but um Mm -hmm. but 45 is still young for sure um, but it's very encouraging for people because I've seen on the forum uh, or the Facebook group, the group, uh, the AMGA group, that people just say, oh, I'm in this certain amount of age, you said too late, get into guiding. So it's, 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 there's really not a, a real answer for that, huh?
1: There really isn't. And, you know, I would say there's a lot of older women, older than me, um, who are still guiding or even on like the IT um, Mm -hmm. through the AMGA, and they're my inspiration. Now I, I think about how much longer can I guide? And that's the biggest thing is like nutrition, PT, motion is lotion. I
0: cannot. (laughs) I like it. Yes.
1: And that is what um, I have noticed for myself. It's like I can't sit in the office. And I, as a committed guide, we um, have to do one office shift a week ish, four four shifts a month. And after that one day, I can't, no way could I do two in a row. It's like, oh, yeah, my body feels it. And maybe I'm not sure if it's just me being an active person versus maybe just my diabetes being like, you do not like this. You need to move. And I think that is what is a big push for me in knowing, like, my body craves this activity. I crave being a guide and kind of really enjoy it for for my health and my sanity
0: (laughs) and i can see that you know maybe if i'm guessing from your experience dealing with your diabetes that you definitely know how to do Mm self-care yeah right because a lot of guys that burn out they might just think they should do more than they should, or I don't know, I mean, the self-care part, I think is very important. So, uh, yeah. so, so I like that you say, you know, the nutrition, uh, motion solution. Yeah, I really <laughs> like it. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. And yeah. um, so I often ask these two questions uh, to my guests. It's It's big yeah. questions, so get ready. oh gosh (laughs) all right so i'm gonna ask you that if right after i ask this question just answer me the first thing come to your mind because there's usually a lot so what is the most proud moment in memory looking back
1: man so many stories i
0: know yeah so that's just you know tell me like the one that jumped out of you right here right now
1: oh man i think maybe skiing just popped up in my head and maybe because we talked so much about it that that's kind of like at the forefront of my mind was finally being able to ski in front of my clients (laughs) Because I would always put be like, "Okay, there's your boundary there, there's your boundary there. Ski down to that point, but don't look behind you." <laughs> <laughs> I think finally, when the, I was like, "Follow me, this is how we're gonna go." Um, that was a very proud moment for me, whether it was an airy course or actual ski mountaineering, and I was on my skis, not my not my snowboard. I was actually on my skis then. And that felt so good.
0: Nice. (laughs) I'm proud of you too. (laughs) And then I also another question here is say, uh, for the audience of this podcast, if they can only take one thing away, what do you wish they take away?
1: Oh, gosh. Probably what we discussed is just taking part in helping our global warming and our environment and just doing your part of whether it's using less water, recycling, not consuming so much, um, maybe even just giving to the community and helping out, I would that's probably the biggest thing that i would hope
0: (laughs) nice and and i understand right each person has to take part in this thing just so you know we 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 certainly we would take some from the environment but just take what we need yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. and then we also try our best to return yes yeah
1: and I think that's like a really important for us guys is to be able to show people that might from the city and don't have any clue about what's really truly happening out here,
0: yeah, and then these are the stories I heard from a lot of long term guys, you know, because if you go to the same mountain over and over for so long, you see the changes. Mm-hmm. Right. So for the people who just there for a short period of time, they probably don't see it. Right.
1: I noticed that big time in the Cascade this year, we looking from Mount Shaxton over to Mount Baker and all of us that had been there before were in total disbelief and looking at Rainier, complete disbelief. Wow. The glaciers are melting in front of our eyes, like day by day. Yeah. You know, like, wow. Mm-hmm. You hear the stories, you know. Yes, you, you hear it, and um, you know the the pow um, protect our winters speaks a lot about it. But I don't think it impacts you as much until you see it with your own eyes. Right.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you guy, um, well, ski and snowboard. You teach avalanche courses. Uh, you do a little bit alpine, right? Too. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then also you teach rock climbing. And mm-hmm. what else do you do here? Did I miss something?
1: Yeah, so I do a lot of mountaineering. I okay. teach a lot of um, snow climbing, up upcouars, things like that. Do a lot of alpine rock climbing. My um, okay. like bread and butter is kind of avalanche education. ski guide, splitboard guide, um, and then a lot of rock climbing.
0: I see. So yeah. what's the best way if people want to say, oh, I really... Love that I to hire Sarah as a guy. Where should I find
1: you? Oh gosh, well, um, there's a couple places. I'm I'm pretty active on social media, so my Instagram Sarah Jamin, also on Facebook. Just my last name, Sarah Jannon, is a good way. And direct messaging me—that's um, probably the best way. Also through Colorado Mountain School. That's the easy way to connect and find me
0: (laughs) awesome yeah i mean next time if i uh visit you say you live in boulder right now if i happen to be in boulder i'll hear you up
1: yes i have a spare bedroom and you can come go climb in eldo and lumpy ridge and go out
0: for (laughs) sure yeah and let me know when you are in my neighborhood too
1: absolutely i love red rocks (laughs) (laughs)
0: great yeah thank you so much for this i have so much fun and thank you for your wisdom oh
1: thank you so much it was such a pleasure